hello and welcome to the Gifts of the Weird podcast. We're back after Troth Mood and after a really very busy summer and a continually busy summer. I am still going on uh, with uh, podcasts and we're having as our guest today, Jeremy Bear. Jeremy has just released a book of devotions on Thor called Hammer, Oak, and Lightning. Very, very frightening. A Thor devotional, devotional, devotional. Ah! Just kidding. It is Hammer, Oak, and Lightning, a Thor devotional. I mean, how can you not go there with that, right, Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, someone posted that on Facebook, and I laughed, laughed, laughed. But it, it does fit the theme. It does fit the theme. It totally does. Uh, I would totally love to uh, take all the words to that and get a karaoke version and totally do it. So, Troth Moot next year, Jeremy. So, my guest is, if you haven't figured it out, Jeremy Bear, the author of that Thor devotional. And that Thor devotional was released this very month, and we're very excited about it. And I'm excited about it. And Jeremy is, currently serves as a reeds person and clergy of the Troth. Reeds person is sort of like the equivalent to the board of directors of the Troth. He lives in Michigan and is pursuing a legal degree in his spare time. He can be found adventuring with his wonderful wife, Laura. And Jeremy, welcome to Gifts of the Weird. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you. It's good to be here, John. Yeah, I am so excited to uh, have you here. been trying to get you on the podcast in one capacity or another for the last couple of years. Finally getting to meet you in person at Trothmoot. So that was really cool. And Laura, too. I mean, got to meet her for the first time. So that's been really great. So you wrote a book. How does that feel? I wrote a book. Uh, I wanted to be published <laughs> by age 40, and I did it at 42, so I'm not too far behind schedule. Okay, that's not bad at all. I have been wanting to write a book as well, so I'm going to be uh, trying to tr uh, get that as well. I'm a little bit more behind schedule than you, as I'm, I'm significantly a little bit older. But um, hey, congratulations on this book. And so far, a lot of people have been very, very excited. And, and I have too, because I have a copy of it. And uh, it is a very well-written book, and I really enjoy it. Well, thank you. So, Jeremy, uh, why don't you tell some folks a little bit about uh, how you came to heathenry, how you came to know Thor? I mean, how did you um, tell us your story in a nutshell? In a nutshell. Okay, well, I'll try not to ramble on too much here. So in my 20s, life wasn't going as well as I thought, and I encountered a worldview crisis you know what to believe in who am i what is the universe how do i relate to spirituality uh, i ran through a cycle of different so-called alt alternative religions like i was in wicca for six months i was in satanism for six months um, i spent a couple years in greco-roman polytheism and i entered in and out of druidry for a number of years but i became increasingly aware of heathenry I became increasingly enamored with the lore of the Adas of Odin and Thor, and I became increasingly interested in runes. So somewhere around 2012, I got serious about being a heathen. I credit Odin the Allfather for bringing me in. His pull was strong. The pull of the runes was strong. As a newbie heathen, I, you know, I, I waded into all the usual landmines of bad heathenry, including the uh, the AFA at one point. <laughs> but I, I discovered the troth because in my regional area, Sue Eves, who is a, the high steward 
and a clergy member of the Trof runs a campground where she had festivals to the Trof. So uh, almost immediately, I was uh, introduced to that milieu of inclusive heathens. And uh, Laurel Mendez, who is a member of the Trof, introduced, helped introduce me to Odin. And so I've been a, a heathen and a Trof member and Odin's been ever since. That's pretty cool. It's it is a process, isn't it, to or a journey, I should say, to come to this to this path and to find or figure out just exactly how things are going out for us. So that's a pretty a pretty interesting thing. And you are just now starting a, embarking on a new adventure of learning, going back to school and uh, starting a whole new process with that. So that's very exciting for you, I'm sure. Yes, thank you. After 20 years of uh, working for the man, so to speak, in corporate America, I've decided that I'd rather go back to law school and uh, champion certain interests with my law degree, something besides the 1% of America. So that's what I'm doing right now. Awesome. And that's going to be a, a pretty busy journey, I'm sure. Hey, so Jeremy, you wrote a book about Thor, and you are pretty outspoken about yourself being an Odinsman. So how did that journey come about? Well, here's the deal. So I started with Odin as my patron deity or full true or whatever nomenclature you wish to use. I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, settled on it. I'm not anal about it. And then somewhere along the way, Freya came. Uh, so those are my two patron deities. But those two deities have quite a following of writers and occultists and poets, they have plenty of people inside the troth and out that can speak for them and write for them. I mean, it was just this year that uh, two books came out on Odin, one from Diana Paxson and one from Morgan Daimler, right? Yeah. Um, and we interviewed, I interviewed Diana Paxson about her book in 2017. Yes. A little internal plug there. So those two deities have a very good press or public relations arms, so to speak. When I was in my private excursions to those deities, uh, Freya said, uh, you know, our compatriot Thor, what does, what does he have? He, he is a, uh, a noble deity. He does a lot of work in the background. He's very worthy of devotions. But what does he have out there devoted to him? So I looked. I mean, I did an Amazon search of Thor. And uh, as you might imagine, most of the stuff is pop, pop culture. Uh, especially the Marvel universe and such. And then most of the rest of it is like uh, Thor in a young adult capacity as the hero god or, or whatever. And I decided that while, you know, pop culture is all fine and well, I, I don't dismiss it. Entertainment is entertainment. And if it brings people to the gods, then so be it. But pop culture is not heathenry. So in order to give Thor his due and to present him as an actual heathen deity worthy of respect in a heathen tradition, uh, I was tasked by my patrons to give him a devotional. And that's exactly what I did, or at least I hope I did. Tasked by whom? Tasked by Odin and by especially Freya. She said, I have plenty of people who speak for me, like Patty LaFell, or however you pronounce her last name. I apologize <laughs> if I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, but, you know, she said, uh, we, we have people who can speak for us. Why don't you use your talents and speak for Thor? So that was my commandment, and that's what I did. It's really cool. I'm really excited to hear that. It's interesting how Odin and Freya claim a lot of people and then and then task them with things. That is really awesome. What was your journey as you started 
working with Thor to come about this devotional, it's, it seems interesting to me that they're like, uh, hey, here's your assignment. And you're like, uh, okay. Well, it, it wasn't a like a, a cold introduction. Um, I've always honored Thor in some capacity. And um, had Freya not inserted herself when she did, Thor might be my second patron. I've always respected him. I've always respected his strength, his no-nonsense approach. And I've always viewed him as the ultimate deity to call upon for protection and hallowing and to have your back in a fight. So I did have uh, a relationship to him. He, uh, my wife and I have always had a relationship to him. Um, and so I have tranced to him uh, repeatedly before this process was in place. And once I got the, the directive from Freya to do this, I had that relationship to call upon. And in my view, I'm doing it sort of as a recompense to Thor for all that he's done for me. Uh, from the standpoint of protection and warding and blessings and whatnot, you know, a gift for a gift. Wow. Uh, it's really interesting. Well, Thor, Thor seems to be probably one of the more sociable gods, I should say. Sociable. I'm not quite sure how to how to phrase that. Uh, he seems to be really interactive with with us on Midgard, which to me is really cool. I'm not full truly to him, but I, I have worked with him on occasion and I feel a nice friendship with him. So I think he's, he's a friend of the people. It seems what a great uh, gift to give to him is a devotional such as this. How long did it take you to work on this project from initial assignment from Freya <laughs> till the, till you finally uh, release that, that manuscript <laughs> to the troth who is to who's publishing the manuscript what was that process like? How long, what was some of the things that you went through to create this book? How did you come about what you wanted to make it look like? Right. Okay. So after Christmas of last year, um, I resigned from my day job to get ready for law school. So I had the privilege, if you wish to call it that, of being uh, unemployed, of not having to hold down a day job. About February after that, I really delved into the work, just you know, sat down and wrote for like four or five hours a day and, and did various research. Wait, excuse me. You wrote four to five hours a day, including research? Well, yeah, with research and writing, I would just, you know, sit down on my computer and, and, and type at the keyboard and bang stuff wow. out because I'm that, I'm that creative type that once, once I get into uh, a zone, as they call it, it has to come out. And then uh, if I'm in a dry spell, you know, that zone may not come for another two or three days until it strikes again. So you do what you got to do. I totally understand that. I'm an editor in my day job. And there's plenty of times where at the end of the day, all of this creative stuff starts happening. And it's just like, boom, 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 boom. And I get this text from my husband that says, are you coming home? <laughs> <laughs> so I totally know that once you get into the zone process. Right. Sorry, c continue on. No, no problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you share that with me. You, you understand what it's like. Um, but uh, I would say I started in February, and somewhere towards the end of March, I had a, a rough draft, let's say. So I had my, uh, my formidable wife and intelligent wife read it and offer some suggestions. I had one or two people who volunteered to look over it. Uh, then I, I redid the draft with their suggestions. Um, and then I sent it to Ben Wagner, our Shope, our uh, 
uh, famous and most excellent and competent show who started uh, adding some certain stuff to it, right? It came back to me with Ben had inserted a lot of visuals in, in, in it. Like I had just text. He went and found a, at least a dozen non-copyrighted public domain images that he inserted into it. And he spruced up the fonts and the visuals and so forth and came back. And, and then from there, I uh, did a couple of uh, typo checks and proofreading and so forth. Um, so from, you know, so, so from the beginning of February to the end of July is a whole process. That's a pretty quick, uh, turnaround. It seems you were quite furious. It seemed, uh, on this process. That's amazing. Uh, really amazing. Well, again, I, I had the benefit of not holding down a day job and I was specifically, I had to get this done before law school started because I would never get it done in the middle of law school. Right. So uh, when, when Freya gives you a command, you get it done as fast as you can. Uh, that is true. Uh, when you do have some time available to do that and you've got a hard deadline, like before starting law school, that definitely is, that definitely is. So, Let's move on to talking about the book. And you have three parts, the lore, the history, and your modern experiences. Was that something that you just kind of sketched out at the beginning? You're like, hey, this is the process that I wanted to uh, I want to move on? Or did it just kind of organically, you just kind of spewed it all out and then you arranged it later? Well, it was a little bit of both. Um, you know, Ben's directive to me is the, the, there's a couple of rules here. And the first rule is that anything that's scholastic has to be cited as such. And anything that's unverified personal gnosis, UPG, has to be cited as such. Most, uh, there, there's a number of devotionals to a number of gods out there, uh, you know, devotionals to Greek and Egyptian gods are all the rage. Uh, from Neo to Alexandria, I've read a couple, but most most of these devotionals combine the two into like a, a mishmash, and sometimes it works well depending on the author, and sometimes it doesn't. So I had the idea in mind that um, as as a lore graduate of the Trove, uh, I was going to put all the lore up front so that people would know where I'm getting my information, what sources I looked at. I would put the history in the middle, which gives sort of a crash course into the uh, chrono- chronological aspects of heathenry and the, the you know the the introduction to the academic sources of heathenry. And then at the very end, I would have a modern experience section where everything is explicitly stated as my experience which is valid for my experience, although it may not necessarily be valid for your experience or Ragnar Heathen's experience over there. So that, you know, it's my intention from the beginning to just compartmentalize everything so that people are very clear about what is and what isn't history and what is and isn't UPG. I really love that progression that you gave. It gives, it gives a person a lot of flexibility and choice. Of course, we want to read what has been written before because it's very, very beneficial for us to understand how people viewed Thor and the experiences that they shared as part of what's now become the lore. And I love that you have that all in a section. And I really, really love how well cited it is that you tell exactly where everything comes from so that I can go and read more about it or read it in the context of the story or read the full story. You did such a good job about talking about 
those stories from the Eddas and the and the poetic Edda, the prose Edda, and other literature. I really appreciated that. I was a little bit like, oh, maybe I'll just skip over this. I want to get to the experiential part because I'm a very experiential person and mm-hmm. I, I want to experience Thor now. And it was really nice to read through and see so much of the ways that he touched bases with people in that era. Uh, was that kind of difficult finding all those different references and stories that must have been hugely time consuming and your wife must have been like all right hello uh Jeremy, can you come <laughs> to dinner because my husband does that a lot to me <laughs> <laughs> well it, it was time consuming and it was uh in some sense a pain but uh i've always been the academic type i mean i'm, I'm one of two people currently that graduated from three years of the lore program of the Tro. So on, on some level, I actually like this sort of thing. It's who I am. But where I, where I was coming from is this. Uh, you know, there's this great debate in heathenry about lore versus UPG, which is more pertinent, which is more um, which is more uh, germane. I, I find that both are valuable, but they have to be in a dialogue with each other. In other words, you have to use lore as a foundation to understand how he was, how a particular god was viewed in a specific historic and cultural era. And then, if you have UPG that supplements that, that's fine. If you have UPG that contradicts that, then that that gets into a little gray area. But I, I made it very clear in my book that my UPG builds upon and complements that lore aspect and does not, in my view, at least, contradict it to the point of being absurd. Mm-hmm. So I thought the lore was a necessary foundation for everything. It is. Um, it's great to know where things come from and great to know the found. Like you said, the foundation, that's a very great way of saying it. And unfortunately, so many people use the term UPG as a derogatory. And it's just about experiencing things today and the gods that are interacting today, just as they did back then. The stuff that we're reading as lore today was UPG then. It was people saying, hey, I had this experience, or this is how Thor is telling me the story of this adventure, and I'm going to um, tell it to other people. And then eventually it got written down, which is really cool. So uh, I really appreciate that you you took the time to add that as part of the the foundation of the book, and you just set it right there. Now, some people may choose to skip over and go right to the experiential, but... Right. Um, but eventually they'll move back to that and say, hey, what are some of the things that we glean from Thor that we know that he once did? And how is that uh, important to how he, his character is today or his foundation is, even though now he's probably he would probably be using a cell phone instead of writing it on a parchment paper or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I firmly believe that uh, deities are you know living breathing, so to speak, uh, entities that uh, have transcended the times. And um, I know there, there are sectors of heathenry where people are very erudite. They have the equivalent of PhD in Germanic studies, and they know every arcane detail about the gods. But if they don't somehow bring those deities into the modern world and have some sort of relationship to, uh, to the holy powers in the modern world, that, that, you know, that, that moves them and that inspires them and that uh, enters into a relationship of a gift for a gift, that I would, you know, 
not to bash him, but I would plainly say maybe they don't have a religion so much as a book club. You have to bring the religion out of the books into the real world for it to mean something. So how did you choose some of these stories? Did you just look up? I was going to say Google, but (laughs) there's probably a lot. You're very, uh, you're very in tune person with the Lord. Did you just pull every story that you could, or were there some stories that you're like, "Mm, I might reference these, I might not. How did you come about which, what stories you wanted to include in this book? Because there's probably too many for uh, the size of the book that you wanted. Well, 90% of what I found I put in the book, there were maybe some passing references here and there, which I didn't uh, enumerate for, for sake of time or clarity. The vast majority of what I put in there, I, I was familiar with from my lore readings, both as a uh, you know personal endeavor and both through the lore program under under uh, Thomas De Mayo in the um, Trove. Uh, but I, I do have Ben Wagner to thank. I mean, he he's been doing this a lot longer than I have. He's read a lot more than I have. He recommended two stories about Thor that I had never heard of. One was about Thor mansion might, and the other was about Thor and the story of Eagle Beak and the sisters that he seduced, both of which are in the third chapter. So I have him to thank for filling in a, a few blanks for me. So one of the interesting uh, aspects of the the book is that, oh shoot, I just lost the book here, <laughs> is that you include the portion of it from the historical aspect of it. Why don't you tell a little bit about what that means? So the, the second section, which is history, includes the Indo-European, the continental history, the Anglo-Saxon, meaning England, and the Scandinavian. And then you kind of go into the a modern interpretation through Urglua, which is the Pennsylvania Deitch. Uh, how did that section kind of come about for well, you? I wanted to trace the evolution of Thor from his most primordial days into uh, the present, so to speak. Also, I've been a member of various communities in my life. The Troth is one of them. ADF Druidry is another. Uh, you know, in both the Troth and ADF Druidry, there's there's different communities, different cultural foci, so to speak. So you, you have some people who are uh, most people are, are Norse or Scandinavian by default, but you do have continental heathens, you have uh, Anglo-Saxon heathens, and it, it seems like 10% of the troth these days in the Urglava or Urglava. So my my job, my calling was to give something that each of these groups could take and understand how they relate to their own cultural focus. Uh, and it was very interesting tracing the evolution of Thor from his uh, Indo-European roots all the way to more modern times in Urglawa. I mean, there, there's some variations, yes, but at, at the end of the day, there's an essential unity that he is the god who's called upon for uh, protection and hallowing and strength. Yeah, it's interesting how that he moved with the people from location to location and then just became such an integral part of the fertility of the land and the protection of the people and the the clans and things. So that's really, really interesting. So let's bring it up to modern times. How do you think that he's revealing himself to folks today? Well, most of us heathens wear at least uh, some of the times a Thor's hammer as a symbol of heathenry. I mean, it's the, you know, it's the common international badge where you recognize someone as, as heathen, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's that's the way it was uh, increasingly in the late Viking Age when people wore Thor's hammers as both as a protective amulet and uh, as a uh, reaction to the cross. In the modern times, there are different followings. I mean, Odin and Loki are, I think, the two deities who recruit the most. They're, they're the most active. Uh, Freya has her people and, and Freyr has her people. But there is a sizable Thor population. Thor people, in my experience, you know, they're the stalwart types that stand in the background and they're strong and they're reasonable and they, they, they just do what they do for the community and perhaps not get all the recognition they deserve. But even even if you're not a Thor devotee, so to speak, you can call on him anytime you like because he is a god of the masses. He is a god that wants you to be protected and be happy, you know, as long as you're giving the gifts that he wants and as long as you're not uh, inciting the chaos that he hates. So I think Thor has his select people, but at the same time, he's a god for who, whomever calls upon. I love that, that he's sharing that with folks because he has one for the people, it seems. And he does care about people being justly represented and taken care of and things like that. So it's really, it's really an excellent way. We talked a little bit about this offline, but uh, there's a lot of people that are maybe coming to know a little bit more about Thor, do you think? Uh, because they start, ref- I mean, they get interested in, in the movies, particularly the movies. I grew up with Thor comic books since the 70s. I'm that old, yes. And uh, Thor wasn't my most favorite character, but I was interested in him. It was cool. And as, as I explained in the very first episode of Gifts of the Weird, that uh, comic books opened up the door to me to be more open to uh, polytheism. So I thank Marvel Comics for that, as well as DC, because uh, through Wonder Woman, uh, they had a very lively connection with the Greek gods and goddesses. And yes, uh, they are not the same gods and goddesses of mythology. To me, that's okay because they're opening stories. They're opening doorways for us to experience more about the gods. Now, there's some people that will never explore the mythology. And my thought is they're probably not people that are going to explore that mythology anyway. Uh, But they are kind of cool about Thor. And Thor is actually like being championed and excited. What do you kind of think about this excitement about Thor besides the fact that Chris Hemsworth makes an <laughs> awesome Thor. Well, here's the deal. In entertainment is entertainment and it, it is what it is and it isn't what it isn't. There's no question that ever since the Vikings came out, we have an influx of people in, in heathenry or, or something like heathenry. Even before that, uh, if you ever watched the science fiction series Stargate, the little gray aliens were masquerading as Norse gods, which was kind of fun, right? I remember those episodes, yes. Yeah, and Thor was like the supreme commander of the Asgard fleet. (laughs) And let's not forget the uh, almighty Johnsons from New Zealand. Awesome, awesome series. Yes, my wife showed me an episode or two that that was pretty funny. Uh, Well, to to answer your question, you know, uh, Marvel stuff, I watched the first Marvel movie and it was, yeah, okay, fine. I, I didn't watch Ragnarok. I didn't continue with the convoluted Marvel universe. It's it's not my thing. Now, to speak to your point, uh, there is a certain utility in this pop culture entertainment 
raising a certain level of awareness about our gods and about our heritage. And uh, I do I do laud that. I give credit where credit is due. But it's it's completely superficial. It's completely artificial in certain places. So if you enjoy the entertainment as entertainment, that's one thing. If you enjoy the entertainment as uh, a source of religion, that's quite another thing. What yes. I hope to do in my devotional was clear up the record about who Thor was and who he was not. And he's certainly not the blonde, muscular you know, figure depicted by Thomasworth in the Marvel <laughs> Universe. And your devotional is also really good about showing who he is to us today. And thanks for sharing that about the pop culture, because the pop culture part of it is just, it's it's stories. It's having a good time. It's having a good story. It's kind of like what folks have done throughout these centuries is tell stories. But here we are. We have a really good resource for how people worked with Thor in the past uh, as part of, which has been recorded, thankfully, uh, in prose and the poetic era and other stories in literature. And we have a, tra- a trail, a very good trail that you have outlined through the history portion of uh, the book. And I've got to say that the book is very readable. I, I really enjoyed reading the book. It was nice to just, uh, I would um, jump, in, jump into the bed at night, but I would sit there and I would just read the story that you presented. And, I'm, and I was really s- super thankful that you provided so many references so that when you didn't provide exact quotations or the exact text of uh, the story that you're are talking about, I can go and find it. To me, that was very, very valuable. That's well, because now I know where I can go find the story. So thank you for that, you're, Jeremy. You're yeah. So as we're moving into the modern experience, how did you come about with some of the things that you decided to put into the book and what you decided that was not too personal that you could share? How did you uh, decide what was going to be shareable? Right. Well, um, as far as the modern experience section, uh, you know, again, I've been a, a member of various communities. I've been a member of uh, heathenry, obviously. I've been a member of ADF Druidry. I've, I've been a member of various occult communities, if, if I can use that term. So my modern experience section is directed at all those communities so that everyone can find at least something. Everyone in each of those communities can find something to work with. As far as, as what I chose to include, you know, Thor was very, in my private esoteric workings with him, he was very specific about what he wanted to share. He said, look, you know, this is... Um, mm-hmm. I stand for this and this and this, and I'm not about that. And I want you to get that word out so that people can compare notes and that there's a common understanding, a common framework to build up uh, a cult, a cult in a Roman sense of the word, right? As far as, uh, you know, very personal stuff, well, I... My personal stuff tends to be mostly towards Odin and Freya. Thor is one of the most straightforward deities that I've ever met uh, in France or otherwise. And so there's not a whole lot of secrets that happen there. And I felt very comfortable putting into the book what I did. Excellent. So a lot of the practices that that you share are are kind of your own, right? Or did you pull in some... Did you do like a poll or some surveys or, or talk to some other people to get some of their experiences to kind of compare notes and say, hey, this is how he's revealing himself today to people, which might be slightly different from what we read in the lore. 
<laughs> well, every everything is mine with the exception of the last essay in the book, which is uh, an essay from my wife's perspective, a, a feminist perspective. Uh, but, but all the rituals are mine. I, I will say that uh, as a member of ADF uh, Druidry, one thing that ADF does very well is concentrate on uh, the withers and wherefores of liturgy. Okay. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Bonowitz is a somewhat controversial figure. Uh, he has some of his early books about liturgy were extremely insightful. Uh, he goes through this five step process of Indo European ritual that is uh, loosely similar to five stage. Uh, structure of a Shakespearean play, the rise of dramatic energy. There's an introduction, there's a building upon that introduction, there's a climax, then there is a falling action, and then finally there's a, a conclusion. So I was, in, in the broad sense of things, I was inspired by that structure which he articulated, but all the details therein are things that I did or came up with in my, my own uh, excursions in the past few years. And, you know, I, I put them out there and I said, look, if this works for you, fine. If it doesn't work for you, that's fine, too. But this is what I do. You know, I encourage readers to uh, discard what doesn't work for them and take what does. And more to the point, I, I encourage readers to share, you know, how do you do things? How do you not do things? Let's let's compare notes. And then all this UPG, all this unverified personal gnosis can become a shared personal gnosis that helps underscore a cult in the modern times of Thor. Thanks for sharing that. And and really, thanks for sharing rituals. It was really exciting to see that you provided a template for a ritual. It doesn't mean it has to be the only style of ritual. As a matter of fact, you were quite obvious about how you didn't provide a specific this is how you this is how you contact Thor and you did this specific ritual and this is the only way to do it. So how did you come about uh, formulating the ritual structure that you created and and uh, setting it up that way? Right. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm uh, vaguely influenced by uh, Bernowitz's theories and by my experience in ADF. But um, my, my personality, John, is that I'm a big picture type, right? I start with the big picture and then I work down to details on some level. But to me, the big picture is more important than the details. So what I want to give my readers is that, look, here's a a loose general framework that you can adapt to your own circumstance, your own proclivities. Here's a skeleton. You fill in the muscles and the flesh according to however you like it and go from there. You know, I I, I don't want to micromanage anyone, whether as, as a clergy or as a secular human being. It's just not my style. So how can people use this book to either start or to take their own practice, to start their practice or to take their own practice further with Thor? Sure. What are some ways that you think that this book will help them move on with that? Sure. Well, let's, let's say that um, they're new to heathenry or Norse paganism, or at least they, they don't have a, a, a great depth to it. Let's just say they're kind of on the surface somewhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, reading the lore section will give them an idea of who Thor was to the people who wrote the lore, and uh, you know, within the lore they can find allusions to the lore that that helps them write poetry and prayers, like you know, Thor, the Wilder, Mjolnir, 
Thor, the, uh, the slayer of various giants, Thor, the son of Odin, Thor, who went on such and such an adventure. That's, that's all background material. The history section is likewise background material to show people how Thor related to a certain people in a certain time and place. And then with those two background materials in mind, you go to the modern experience section. And the modern experience section shows you, in my opinion, uh, in my view and experience, how to construct rituals. Thor is basically looking as far as his followers or how you approach Thor in the modern age, what he wants and what he'll give. Um, so you weave all, all this stuff together. And if it builds a, a lattice, a foundation on which you yourself can further explore, but it gives you an uh, like an anchor, a foundation on which to do. I think sometimes people come to understand or they, they want to learn something, but they're just kind of overwhelmed by all of the information, all of the availability of stories that's that's out there. And sometimes it's hard to find. So this is a really great, great way to consolidate at least the reference material and and someone's personal experience. This is really exciting because as the troth and Ben Wagner has said, this is like the first in a series. What does that make you feel like being the first in a series? And what, how does it feel to have a book published as an author? <laughs> now that you're an author, how does that feel? <laughs> well, I, I don't know where all these ideas from devotions came from. I think there's uh, a, a simultaneous burst of energy going on. So I don't, I don't want to take any credit for it. My, my wife, the steer of the trove, Laura, actually had an idea for a Sky devotional before I started the trove devotional. But she's been detained by her job and couldn't get it finished. So uh, if anyone started, mm -hmm. it's probably her. Uh, how does it feel to be published? Well, you know, this this probably is not going to be a New York Times bestseller. It's not going to win a Pulitzer Prize or a Nobel Prize or whatever. But uh, there is a certain sense of accomplishment that comes with you know getting this done. I, I, I stand on the backs of giants within the trove. You know, I stand on the back of uh, Diana Paxson, uh, of Patty L., of, of Ann Groh, of Ben Wagner, all, all these people who have published all these books and have uh, paved the path for the next generation to do so. So I can only uh, praise those people and I can only praise myself to the extent that I follow in their footsteps and, you know, put this out there in the name of the gods for people. I am really thrilled with that. And and I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And there are so many other people that I have seen on different websites and different groups on Facebook and things that have been very excited about this. And a devotional series, however form that takes, is going to be a really excellent one because we need devotionals and we need stories and we need to bring these to people today. And it's really nice to be able to have such a concerted and consolidated reference. And um, this is really great to to have that. So uh, thanks for being willing to listen to Freya and to connecting with Thor to, to do this. Is there anything else that you'd like to, to share about the book that you think that maybe we didn't cover that the people ought to know? Uh, the only thing I'll say is that I am not in any way getting one red cent from any of the proceeds. They're all going back to the troth. So if you buy this book, you uh, contribute to the troth coffers membership. So it's all for a good cause.
This is definitely a book that's published by The Trove. Thank you, Jeremy, for doing that. It's available on lulu.com as an ebook, as a paperback. And for those of you who want a beautiful hardback version, you can get the, the hardback version as well. It's also available on Amazon or through Amazon. The Lola, the uh, by purchasing through Lulu, the Troth will definitely benefit better than through Amazon, especially when it comes to ebooks. But it is available, and as of this recording on in August of 2019, there is a really nice little 20% discount available. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us on the Gifts of the Weird and for talking about your experience with writing the book for your connection with Thor. And I'm looking forward to taking this book beyond just the, the first read and to be able to referencing it more and more and more and, and to get to know Thor better through it. Well, it's been my pleasure and my honor, John. So thank, thanks to you, thank to your readers. I hope you all enjoy the book. Thank you so much for taking the time. Writing a book is a lot of work. It's a lot of research, it's a lot of devotion, and it's a lot of energy. So thank you so much for doing that. And thank you for taking the time to share that with so many other people. And uh, I just appreciate you. My, my pleasure, John. Thanks for the interview. Thank you for joining us on Gifts of the Weird and Hail the Gods. Follow me on Twitter at Weird Gifts. Like my Facebook page at Gifts of the Weird. Send me an email with ideas for topics or maybe some of you musicians or guests that you think might be interesting to listen to on the podcast. Gifts of the Weird at gmail.com. Check out the show notes for links. Thank you. And and slowly a tear rolls down your cheek. We slowly turn away. And neither of us found quite what we see. This is the price we pay